Hello everyone, welcome to another episode on the time with SA. I'm really, 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 really sorry that last week you guys didn't get to hear from me. A lot of activities held me back. Please forgive me. Like I said, this week we're diving into another company with a troubled past. But you know what? In this particular episode, you'll be left to make up your mind. Would you find a lot of things to learn from the founders of this multinational? Or would you totally abhor all that they did? For me, I'll tell you what I learned or whether I abhor them at the end of the episode. But for now, let us dive in to this company. First, we have to introduce our company. The name of the company we will be doing some research into their history is Jardin Matheson. Now, Jardin Matheson is headquartered in, in, in China and they do most of their business out from China and Southeast Asia. I would read to you briefly what the company has to say about its history found on the company website before we go down into details as to the actual history of Jardin Matheson. Reading from the website, the company website says, the company was founded in the early 30s. The Jardin Matheson Group has been one of Asia's most dynamic trading companies for nearly two centuries, adapting and reinventing itself in the face of both challenges and opportunities in order to survive and prosper. The group has developed a market-leading portfolio of businesses and has grown and evolved with the communities in which it operates. These historical chapters chronicle the selection of key milestones, major developments and achievements of a very unique company. Truly, they're very, very unique. They were founded in 1892 and within that period, up till now, the company has been in operation. Well, from the company, another aspect of the company provided in the website, under history of the company provided on the website states, in 1892, Jardine Matheson and Co. was founded in Canton in July 1832 by Scott William Jardine and James Matheson. Following the end of the East India Company's trading monopoly with China, Jardin Madison sent his first private shipment of tea, tea in inverted commas, to England in 1834. Now, that's what the company history will have you believe as to the history of Jardin Madison. But what really is the truth about Jardin Madison? Some of the aspects that the company website has already covered. It's actually true. Some of them are actually true, sorry. For example, the company was founded in 1832 by two Scotsmen, Jardin Matheson and James, sorry, Jed, William Jardin and James Matheson. They were Scotsmen, founded in 1832. And yes, they traded with the British in tea. But how did they get the tea? Were their actions completely honorable in getting the tea? First, we'll have to go into the history of one of the founders of the company. His name is William Jardine. Stay with me. William Jardine, we already know he's a Scotsman or was a Scotsman, was born in the year 1784. He was born to very poor parents. In fact, while his parents were poor, the family 
felt that because of the intelligence of the young chap, they had to do their best to send him to the university. So at the age of 16, the family had gathered up a lot of savings and they sent Jardine off to the University of Edinburgh to study to become a surgeon. Remember, he was very, very, very intelligent. After two years of study at the age of 18, he was true with his studies to become a surgeon and he was employed immediately by the East India Trading, East India Company, the major company used by the British Empire then to trade with countries in the Asian area of the, con of the world. East India Trading Company was used to trade with countries like China, with India and so many other of countries and empires that were around the Asian region at that moment. So after his schooling, he was employed immediately by the East India Company to serve as a surgeon mate on one of their ships, the HCS Brunswick. Now, almost the, in the first year of his serving as a surgeon mate in the HCS Brunswick, Jardin met a lot of challenges. His ship, one of, at a time, his ship was attacked by pirates. Another time, it was captured by Napoleon. There were a lot of problems, but eventually. Jardin surpassed all these problems and continued working in the employ of the East India Company. Note, the East India Company at that time was the front used by the British to trade with China. And what was it that they actually traded? China had a lot of materials to trade with Britain. They produced spices, they produced silk, they produced tea a lot of things that they could ship to the British and the British could pay would pay back in silver. However, for the British, they had nothing that the Chinese needed. So what it meant was the British kept paying for the items they bought from China with the hard-end silver and they were getting absolutely nothing other than these materials from the Chinese, meaning they were largely a consumer economy. The British knew that they couldn't keep up with this particular trend. They couldn't continue shipping silver and silver all the way to China. They had to look for a way to get the material that the Chinese needed. In fact, it was reported that at a particular time, 10% of the family income in British homes was spent in purchasing tea. That's a large sum of money to spend in purchasing tea. Well, the East India Company came up with a very devious plan. At that time, they had as one of their colonies Bengal. And in Bengal, there was a particular plant that was grown there. It produced a drug that was so potent and effective. And added to that, it was very, very addictive. The East Indian Trading Company at that time in Bengal had started growing opium. It was the highest quality in the world and was very addictive. At about the same time, the use of opium in China was also illegal. So how did, East India, how did the East India Company go about this? Well, they found out that there was a market for opium in China and in order to offset some of the money that they kept shipping to China, they decided to trade in opium with the Chinese. But how were they going to do it? They knew that they, were, they couldn't go all the way to China 
and offload this consignment in the Chinese borders, it was going to be outrightly an act of war, trying to bring something that was already illegal. And that would mean no more business for them with China. And about that time, China only dedicated one particular area for all foreign traders to bet their sheep, offload their products and sell their goods. In fact, they were to deal with a particular set of Chinese who oversaw all the operation of the foreigners in that particular area. So the British were consigned to Canton, which was given to them by the Chinese emperor for them to offload and go about their business. They knew that they could not risk shipping this evil consignment that they had down to Canton, offloading and then distributing it in China. So what did the East India Company do? First, they decided to diversify their base. They were not going to be the sole dealers now. While they owned the fields and harvested the crops, they didn't go about selling it directly to the Chinese. They sold first to Indian tradesmen. The Indian tradesmen now sold to smugglers who carried it on small ships, very fast small ships called clippers, and went down to the border, not the borders, the waterways in China. They didn't go all the way to the canton where they could anchor and then offload their product. Rather, they stayed on the anchor on the sea. They anchored on the sea. Then they had smaller ships that were called, I'm coming, that were called lurcher boats that would come all the way from the port to meet them on sea. They offload this their evil consignment into the boat and these boats will make it into the smaller villages through the waterways to sell their products to the persons who eventually would sell to the Chinese public. These persons who bought from this, the boats would give silver to the boats. The persons on the boats would take the silver down to the clippers that are still bettered on sea and the clippers would move all the way to another location still in china with the silver buy tea and then ship the tea all the way to england to sell as tea harvested in china so do you get it the east india trading company will harvest opium in bengal give it to indian traders the indian traders will give it to smugglers the smugglers will take it all the way to China, bet at sea instead of at the port, offload it to smaller boats, and the smaller boats will sell to the opium traders in China. This went on for so long, and after a period, the East India Trading, the East India Company, was eventually disbanded by the British Parliament. They no longer had the sole right to deal with tradesmen in, in India and with the Chinese. So what it meant was individuals could now step in and buy consignments from India, ship all the way to China on their own and receive all the proceeds that came from whatever consignment they sold to the Chinese. It was about the same time that William Jardine decided that it was time for him to retire from 
the service of the East India Company. Remember, he joined this company at the age of 18 and he worked with them for some time for close to about let's say 17 years or thereabout and after that he left the company still in his early or late 30s well Jadid set up his own company and partnered with a lot of persons with some people got enough money from this partnership and bought a ship the ship he bought was called the Sarah. He started his business in, eight, in 1817 and by 1819 he had sailed all the way to Bombay in India. Unfortunately for him, he met one of his former shipmates called Jamsetji Jijaboy. He was a former shipmate of Jardin on the Brunswick and was even with him when the ship was captured by Napoleon. At this time when he met Jardin in 1819, Boy was already one of the leaders of the largest opium agencies in India. He partnered with Jardin and became Jardin's chief supplier of opium. So Jardin would sail all the way to India, buy opium from JJ Boy and ship it on his clippers berth at sea in China off the coast of Canton, sell it in smaller boats all the way into the smaller villages in China. He started this business in 1819 and by 1832 Jardin had grown so big that he had his business was booming he had so many new partners and one of his new partners was called James Matheson. James Matheson was an aspiring businessman he was in the employ of a wealthy Portuguese merchant at that time and his relationship with the wealthy Portuguese merchant was so close, even though he was in the employ, that he was more like an adopted son to the merchant. Eventually, on the death of the merchant, Matheson took over the ships owned by the merchant, and at this time, he joined forces with Jardin. He was one of the partners that Jardin had, but none of the other partners matched Jardin's cunning, ambition, and absolute disregard for morality like Matheson. So in 1832, they joined forces, found a new company, they restructured and founded Jardin Matheson, the company that we know today. Business kept booming, they kept doing things the usual way they did it, buy from JJ Boy and ship all the way to China. Sorry to correct some things, in 1817, William Jardin resigned from the East India Trading Company and now set up his own, tried to start buying things from the East India Trading Company, which was the opium, and shipping on his own. So he was more or less a legal drug dealer dealing with the East India Company. But in 1843, the British Parliament, not in 1819 or 1817, in 1843, the British Parliament disbanded or stopped the East India Company from being the sole or having the monopoly of trade with the Asian countries. What that meant was there was now a power void left to be filled and Jardin and Matheson in 1843 seized the opportunity. They had grown their ships to be to they had grown their ships to be so many, 19 great clippers and more than hundreds of the lottery boats that were going into the smaller villages. In fact, business was booming 
and their sales of opium was so pervasive at the time of doing business that from 1834 down to 1841 there was an estimate that the number of addicts they had in china was between 4 to 12 million imagine 4 to 12 million people buying your product every time you ship it and what was what were they doing they would sell opium take the silver buy tea and ship the tea all the way back to england well business continued for them all very well for a long time but unfortunately in 1838 because of how pervasive and terrible the opium scourge had become the emperor the Dogang emperor decided to put a stop to it he called one of his special imperial commissioners Ling Jiechu, and ordered Ling Jiechu to use whatever means necessary to stop the opium scourge Jiechu swung into action immediately and in very few months he had arrested more than 1700 dealers had confiscated more than 70,000 pipes and he was striking such a deadly blow to the opium trade in China that everyone was in fear of him. In fact, he had a very impeccable record. The people in China knew him to be an incorruptible man and he was well reported on by every person. In fact, he had a, a nickname, Blue Sky, meaning he was as incorruptible as the heavens. While Ling Jeshu was dealing massive blows on Jardine and Matheson, it was not going to be that for long. Well, eventually, the major blow he dealt to them was in cornering them to a particular island and ordering them to submit all their illegal consignments. Matheson was with the traders at that moment when Jechu asked them for these, asked them to release their consignment and he told not all the traders not to give in or give their products to Zetsu to be destroyed. Well, at about that time when tensions were building, Zetsu had cut off all food supply. He, it was more, more or less like he was organizing a siege against the traders. He had cut off water supply, he had cut off food, and people were starving on, the, on that island. At about that time while tensions were building, the British Chief Super, Superintendent of Trade Charles Elliot arrived. He himself was sorely displeased with the opium trade and what he did was he ordered the traders to submit their goods, surrender the goods to Ling Jechu, but he promised the traders that they will be reimbursed the value of the goods by the British company. It was on this agreement that him and Ling Jechu agreed. Ling Jechu provided the traders with food collected all the opium goods that he had um, that had been surrendered to him and burnt everything but the problem was Charles Elliot was in no place to make such a deal so when he eventually asked parliament to reimburse the traders parliament refused parliament in England refused this angered the traders and at that moment they turned to one person Leading up to this moment, remember Jardine, William Jardine had been the leading force in the opium trade in the whole of Asia. He had risen to, he had risen so, he had become so powerful that even the Chinese referred to him as Taipan. 
meaning supreme leader. At this moment, when they had lost most of their income, all they all turned to William Jardine, their Taipan. William Jardine had a very wonderful plan on how they were going to recoup their losses. He traveled first to London in 1839 and decided to start lobbying the Secretary of British Foreign Affairs, Henry John Temple, who was also the Viscount of Palmerston. Over a long period of time, he convinced Henry John Temple that it was necessary for the British government to start a war with China. In fact, Jardine had always nursed this idea to start a war with China. Jardine had tried convincing Henry John Temple and kept doing his best to show that it was necessary for Britain to start a war with China. Eventually, he convinced Henry John Temple and war was declared. The British were going to war against the Chinese. But what was peculiar about this? William Jardine had always had an idea or had it in mind to start a war between Britain and China. And it was so clear that he had this in mind all along because at the time the war was about to start, Jardine willfully submitted a war plan to the British Foreign Affairs, the Secretary of British Foreign Affairs, detailing the number of ships and even the manpower that will be required for the war. Note, Jardine had fueled the opium scourge in China that everyone in China, even up to the persons serving in the royal palace at that time, were addicts to opium. Persons, the Chinese soldiers who were supposed to go to war against the British, a lot of them were frail due to their addiction to opium. So when the British went to war with China, it was an easy win. Another fact that made it an easy win for China, for Britain, sorry, was that the Chinese had closed themselves from the rest of the world. So they had no navy for a long while. When they were attacked by the British, it was an easy victory. So Jardine had engineered a war, prepared a plan for the war, and helped the British win the war. In his in in preparing for the war, Jardine also prepared demands that the Chinese monarchy must meet as they lost the war. And he had three of them. The first was the Chinese government had to pay the value of all the destroyed opium to all the traders. The second was that Canton and Kohong, which were the only points where foreign traders could bet and offload their goods, was going to be abolished. And that China was going to open four additional ports to British trade. And the last was an island was going to was going to be ceded to Britain, that Britain was going to use its base as base and to have direct control over that island. The island of his choice was Hong Kong, and it's still Hong Kong today, named Hong Kong today. 
The war started by 1841. It was a very short war, and before you know anything, the British, the Chinese were defeated. Lin Jiechu, the special imperial commissioner, was exiled because all the blame was put on him. Despite the fact that he confiscated all the opium pipes, the traders, arrested traders, and got all the opium that was brought by the traders, burned them down. He was blamed for the Chinese loss that was suffered by the emperor. So he was exiled off to a remote town called Yangyang. Well, Jardin had an island that he had won for the British government, for the queen, for the crown, and also now had access to use that island as a as a as a betting point for his opium ships. He settled down on that island because he had made that selection based on a lot of reconnaissance that he had done, establishing that it to be a very good place to British ship and also because of the security that he may have enjoyed at that moment. But it should also be noted that William Jardine and his partner James Matheson did not have it all rose because Hong Kong was plagued for a lot of time by typhoon, malaria, and they were victims of piracy for a while, that they kept forging ahead till they built Hong Kong to what it is today. He served as the head of the William Jardine and he served, he served as the head of William the Jardine and Matheson Company till his death in 1843 at the age of 49. He was affected by cancer and he gave in. After which, Matheson took over the management of the company. And for a while, his four years, their four years after them, continued as the leaders of the company, each of them bearing the title of Taipan. The company Jardine and Matheson has continued down to this day and is currently the second largest employer of labor in the whole of Hong Kong, second only to the government. In fact, they have a lot of subsidiaries, a lot of businesses under them. They are into property estate management, they have a motor vehicle company, they are into retail and restaurants, they, have, they are into engineering, heavy equipment, mining and construction, hotels, and a lot of other businesses. So tomorrow, when you hear of the Jardin, Matheson and the Jardin, Matheson Company, remember that it was started by a young man who was from humble beginnings and grew the company to what it is by taking advantage of opportunities as stated in their history, taking advantage of opportunities and facing challenges in order to survive and prosper. They had always tried to evolve. Personally, I learned a lot from William Jardine. He saw opportunities. The trade was being done by the East India Company. It was authorized by them. He plugged into the business, the opportunity, made money off it. And when it was time to make more money, he decided that that was the case to go. That's what I saw about him in his seen opportunities and made, taking advantage of it. That was really cool. But he was really amoral. He cared nothing about the lives he was ruining. Or he also did not see the fact that 
in ruining those lives, his main source of income, which was selling tea back to England, will be affected because addicts won't go to the farm to farm. But the truth is, he kept evolving his business with each challenge, and he had to me, he seemed to be a man of such strong will that he saw every every challenge as an opportunity that had come along his way. So thanks everyone for listening again on the Time with Essay. Please stay with me till next week when we'll have another episode to share with you guys.